On today's episode of The Mismatch, Chris Vernon and I discussed the trade rumors of the week, including some of my recent reports on what's floating out there in the NBA, ahead of what's going to be a wild, wild week for the NBA with trades, the draft, and then free agency. It's going to be nuts. And then after that, Jay Kyle Mann and Jonathan Charks join me, and we talk NBA draft. We looked at contenders selecting late in the first round and the types of players that they could be looking for. All that next. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all in one page. Plus, start betting on the Explorer page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gambling. Please visit theringer.com backslash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com backslash RG. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerMBA. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerMBA right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Ringer NBA Show. I'm Chris Vernon. Joining me as he does every Friday from theRinger.com is Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Bomber, Kevin O'Concert, Kevin O'Climber, Kevin O'Conflict, Kevin O'Camera, Kevin O'Blazarian, Kevin O'Kindness, Kevin Verno, you posted your master's update video yesterday. One million <laughs> views on Twitter. You know, I was Unreal. just I was talking with my producer about this. We've been doing those locally, uh, those master's updates for years and years. We just needed for it to go up during the crappiest year ever. That's all. <laughs> we just needed everybody, right? Like just wanting to laugh, wanting to have something to smile <sighs> yeah. about. I think, honestly, like in this bizarro way, I think that uh, 2020 has just drained us all to death that anybody having fun, you know, could catch on, I think. I don't know. It's funny with that, like, you know, <laughs> that's why we're called a mismatch. Just totally yeah. different personalities. And, <laughs> and, and, and with that video, man, like like you said, it's just good old fun. And for anybody who wants to watch that, who you know <laughs> is watching the Masters, go to Chris Vernon's Twitter. It's pinned on your page at Chris Vernon Show. It's, it's really funny. Thanks, it's really brother. funny. <laughs> well, we've got a ton of stuff to get to NBA wise because this is all going to come at us very very fast, Kev. Um, first things first. On Tuesday. You talked on the show about the possibility of Russell Westbrook not being in Houston anymore and the idea that Houston had talked to some people and maybe Westbrook wants out. Sham Sharania later in the week said, in fact, Russell Westbrook does want out. And it, that, that felt like one of those. Um, now, again, I, I don't know anything about the situation, but it was one of those like, hey, 
who can get to who can get to the reporters first, right? Because you don't want to you don't want to be shopped around, right? You don't want it out there that hey, we don't want this guy. We want to be shopped around. You'd want the narrative to be hey, I want out of here, right? Um, and so neither here nor there, right? Like yes, Houston probably um, isn't enthused about running that back, and you have the Westbrook thing, and it was shocking to see the first name that came about was. Charlotte. Now, I talked about this a couple weeks ago. I was like, you know, we we kind of goofed where I was like, what do they have in Charlotte, you know, that makes people want to watch or go to the games or whatever. And you said PJ Washington. And so I think, <laughs> I think that question answered itself. <laughs> um, look, he's a Jordan brand guy. It would be unsurprising to me if if Jordan likes Russell Westbrook, certainly that kind of mentality, uh, the fire that he plays with. And that has been a team that has not gotten a lot of attention for anything in a long time. And they haven't, you know, they have certainly have not won at any kind of a high level. And so I actually think it's a, I actually think it'd be a fun fit. You know what I mean? I'd certainly pay attention to Charlotte more and I don't know what their plan is going forward, but, um, I'm always, I, I, I'm, I typically side with the, if you can get an awesome player, get an awesome player. And I've also sided with people have gone way too far with the Westbrook hate. <clears throat> <laughs> Charlotte are making one of the biggest mistakes of the decade. If they trade for Russell Westbrook, especially if they're giving up the number three pick in the draft to get him. And here's why Chris, Oh, they're not giving up the number three pick. Well, you might be surprised. Wow. Um, they, they Charlotte, they right now, in my opinion, I say PJ Washington kind of like tongue in cheek, you know, what are you watching them for? But they have some nice young players. PJ Washington had a really good rookie season. Devontae Graham had a really good year for them. Number three pick and add another guy. But to me, if you add Russell Westbrook, especially for trading the third pick and, you know, some other nice young player or whatever, you are missing out on an opportunity. In the loaded 2021 NBA draft, you are missing out on an opportunity and potentially the double draft in 2022, which could have some of the guys that we saw last night, Amoni Bates, Chet Holmgren, and many, many others for an opportunity to change your franchise for a decade plus. Maybe you don't end up with a number one pick. Maybe you have the number seven pick. Well, guess what? Next year's draft, the number seven pick is probably better than the number one pick this year. And for the Hornets, to me, the best thing to do is keep on this trajectory with Borrego as your coach, with your young players, and focus on development for a little while. If you rush things to bring Westbrook in, who, by the way, yeah, he would make the Hornets way more exciting. He would make the Hornets a team that I want to turn on and watch on a random Tuesday night. But what I wouldn't want to, when I look at that team, if they do that, I know they're just going to have a ceiling of like a seven seed or an eight seed on the East in the Eastern conference. That's getting even stronger, even stronger this year with the nets coming back with Katie and Kyrie with Atlanta trying to push for the playoffs too. To me, don't push for that eight seed. If you're the Charlotte Hornets, Focus on development in the long view here. Otherwise, like uh, you to only me, feel this way though because it's Westbrook. You do. No, I don't. No, I don't. I, I would say this if it was if it was like Bradley Beal. I would say this if it was something like that. What? Uh, let, let me let me rephrase that. Bradley Beal's twenty six. <laughs> Bradley Beal's twenty six. But if it's like Lamarcus Aldridge, thirty five years old. If it's Demar Derozan in his early thirties, it's not just because it's Westbrook. It's because 
the position they're in in the league, they should not be fighting to be a fringe playoff team in the East just to get their ass kicked in the first round. They should be thinking about the long view here, the long term, because if you trade for Westbrook, it's short-term satisfaction, and that's going to hurt them in the long run. And every Hornets fan that I've seen comments from, every Hornets fan that I've you know heard talk about this, they feel the same way. They feel the same way because they're sick of short-term satisfaction. They want to have a sustainable winner. And I'm not saying it's because it's Westbrook. I don't care about the player name. I say Beal, and maybe I would say that if it's a large trade when they have no other avenue to get anybody else. Fact is, is Charlotte is making a mistake if they trade for Russell Westbrook. They're not if they could get Westbrook and somebody else. You know what I mean? Who's that somebody then, else? Well, but again, if you're, if you're a piece away, if you've got Russell Westbrook and another guy, now and you never know what's going to end up coming available. Now all Westbrook's of a sudden a you're competing in the postseason. I mean, we've been through that a hundred times. Of losing like, po- like we we can talk about Westbrook if you're trying to build a winner, adding another guy to Westbrook. To me, like there's very few teams in the, in the league, if any, that I'd be happy to trade for Russell Westbrook. The Clippers, I sort of get it because the need for a playmaker, the need for a shot creator. But, you know, and plus you have championship expectations. You've got to bolster that any way you can. And Russell Westbrook's obviously a good player. You know, I think he's overrated. We've talked about this a hundred times over the last four years. This is going to be our fifth upcoming season doing this together. We've been through it a lot with Russ. But he's still a good player. For the Clippers, I get it. For the Hornets, I, I don't. There's just no championship expectations there anytime soon. you got to focus on the development. And I'm not saying tank. I'm not saying tank the next two, three years. That's r- ridiculous. I'm saying focus on development, focus on your youth, try to get better with your young players. And also, maybe on lottery night, you get lucky and land the number one pick. Maybe you end up with the number six pick and there's good players available because these next couple drafts, unlike this one, this one for over a year or two, we've been talking about this being kind of a shallow draft. The next couple of years, that's not the case. There's some real potential stars the next couple of years who can change your franchise, much like a Zion, much like a John Morant. That's what you're looking at well, in the coming I am, years. I, again, this and this is why it's a mismatch, and this is why, and I am much, much higher on R- Russell Westbrook than you are um, as a player. And so I look at it like, what the hell do you do all this for? You do this so that you could acquire a superstar. You do this so you could acquire, acquire a huge star. I'm from the Daryl Morey thought process of this, right? Like this, these are the kind of guys you can't get in Charlotte and you can live this pipe dream of, Hey, maybe we'll get lucky in the lottery and we'll be able to draft a guy. But if I know uh, that I can go and I can get one of these guys now, all of a sudden I'm a lot closer to being able to compete on a high level than I am just sitting around and waiting for three more years about to turn. He just turned 32 years old. He's making forty million dollars for the next three years. He has a long history of knee injuries. I mean, like, like this isn't just getting a star. This is a past his prime star, Chris. Didn't he just? Didn't he just average like twenty five, eight, and eight or something? Yeah, he had a good year. He I had mean, a good he, year. He was leading. He was leading the entire NBA in points in the paint before the shutdown. Yeah, but he was also playing in Houston. Their weird, funky system with a bunch of shooters around him. The system that has PJ, PJ Tucker and Robert Covington and Eric Gordon and all these guys disappointed they want to move away from you it. You still got to beat somebody off the dribble and get to the rim and finish. I don't care what system you're in. I mean, look, I mean Russ, like I said, Russ is a good player. And like we've been through this a whole bunch of times. He's a good player. To me, he is past his prime getting paid way too much money right now for the production that you're getting for the, you know, if you're Charlotte, again, it's not just star 
in Westbrook or or youth and like the chance at a lottery, it's it's fundamentally and philosophically short term versus long term thinking. And I'm taking the long term approach here. To me, Westbrook. All right, I, how about this? And, how about this? Like, I, like to me, Westbrook isn't a draw. Do guys? How about, this? how about this? Let's say they want to trade for James Harden. James Harden is a higher level player. We're talking about. <laughs> What did you know? All your shit goes out the window? Well, yeah, because Harden's a top 10 player. Westbrook is like a top 40 player. Okay, so it is about Westbrook. It's not about this whole no. philosophy of they need to focus on development. They need to focus on building. They, hey, if, hey, what, are you, what are you giving up, though? Like, it would be if, the if you're same the, thing, If you're Cam, giving up the third pick It would be for literally Westbrook. the same thing. You'd get James Harden, and you would not be able to compete at a and high by level. by the way, like with Harden, it's, it's also a deeper conversation. If you're talking about what other guy you're getting, it is different if you're getting Harden because I think Harden's a guy you can win with. I don't feel that way with Westbrook, but especially with Harden, is it worth giving up the 2022 and or maybe 2023 first round draft pick and a whole bunch else, like six first round draft picks to get him with no guarantee of getting something else? I might say no. I might say no in that case because it may make more sense for them to focus on the long view. But Harden's a different conversation because he's actually a winning player. He's a actually player. Chris, I don't want to hear this like Based talking point again about him g- going to a game seven against one of the greatest teams we've ever seen. Going to a game six against one of the greatest teams we've ever seen. They nearly beat the Warriors because let's, of Chris let's, Paul. Let, let, let's retire this idea because of Chris Harden, Paul. Let's retire this idea that Harden can't win. Let's it was because stop of it. Chris Paul. Let's stop. Harden is an unbelievable player. Are we going to act like Chris Paul didn't go out and they got their ass kicked and Steph Curry emasculated him on his home floor? We're not going to act like that happened. <sighs> like that happened, Kevin. Yeah, it happened. Harden's had some stinkers. No doubt. He's also had some unbelievable performances and averages nearly 30 points per game in the postseason and did it against one of the best teams that we've seen in our entire lifetime. So let's relax about James Harden not being a guy who can impact winning. James Harden is somebody who's one of the greatest scorers of all time, who has improved on defense when for years people say he's a liability. He doesn't care. He doesn't try. He's become solid on that then. He's a fantastic playmaker for your team. And he's also younger than Westbrook. He's and nobody player. wants to play with him. Nobody. I don't know about that. You might be nobody surprised. Nobody wants to play you with him. You might be surprised. Yeah, I hope I am surprised because we'll what see. they'll do, they'll go play with him for a year and then they'll want out. Put it this way. There's a reason why a bunch of teams are trying to get him because guys Dude. like to play with him. James Harden? Philly wants him. Hell, Giannis wouldn't even take him in the All-Star game. (laughs) You might be surprised. I guess we're about to find out, right? And and like I said, it's very possible if you told me James Harden was available, should Charlotte give up their first-round pick this year and their first-round pick next year and, you know, a whole bunch of other, other, other stuff, I might say no. Because I do think for them, in their position in the league, taking the long view is likely the better approach likely. And with Westbrook, it is definitely hundred percent the better approach. And they are making a mistake. That's going to hurt them for a long, long time. If they do trade for Westbrook and I would not do it if I'm the Charlotte Hornets. All right. Well, we just have vastly different opinions of those two players to say the least. Um, Let's move to somebody that you reported on, which is drew holiday. And the reason I was surprised by this is because drew holiday, you had mentioned the Celtics. And the idea of moving up. Um, clearly, if the Celtics were somehow able to acquire Drew Holiday, would the expectation be that he and Kemba Walker then play together and Drew's more off the ball? And and also, beyond that, that would signal the end of the Gordon Hayward era, right? Like, I mean, there's just no way you're going to have Kemba's contract and Hayward's contract and 
Holiday's contract. You, you right? would have yeah. to give up either Gordon Hayward, who obviously there's already already been the rumors about, you know, maybe him wanting to move on. The Knicks yep. have interest, I've heard. Um Indiana, maybe you know, I'm sure he has interest in going going home there. But it also could be Kemba too. Let's think about Kemba. In his 30s, a long history of knee injuries. Did not perform well at all in the postseason. Danny Ainge and his past has never been afraid, never hesitated to pull the plug on something that's not working. He just said earlier this week in a call with a local Boston reporters that he thinks if the team had been healthy, they could have been a championship team. They could have moved on to the finals. They could have won it all. And I agree with him. I do agree with him. Boston had that upside. And to me, Kemba, I really, really like him as a player. I really do. But the injuries are a real concern. The fact he is smaller and is more of a defensive liability, that is a concern in the postseason. To me, whether you're flipping Hayward somewhere else or whether you're flipping Kemba somewhere else, to me, Drew Holiday is an upgrade over the both of those players. The problem for Boston is they have those three first-round draft picks, 14, 26, and 30. They have, you know, Hayward, Kemba, you know, whoever else you want to throw in there from their young group, you know, Robert Williams, that might be an appealing asset. Um, the problem is, is finding the right team to trade up to. And there are so many other teams that are in on Drew Holiday. You know, there's some that have been reported. You know, there's like the idea that maybe Dallas could be in there. I've heard Portland could be in there. There's a whole bunch of teams that are in on Drew Holiday. I'm not sure Boston could put together the best package to get him. It, it, the best package that might be worth it for him. Um, so for the Celtics, it, it could be a pipe dream. But to me, this is the type of thing that makes a heck of a lot of sense to them to add him into your defense and add that playmaking presence that he provides next to some of the other guys in that roster. I, I, when I heard that this week, it sort of clicked for me and it made a lot of sense. Uh, so for Boston, they should be in on him. Just those names that you mentioned. Clearly, when, when first you mentioned Dallas, that is an unbelievable fit. Right. Like that would be ideal. I can I can totally see that working and working extremely well alongside Luka Doncic. Um, the Portland one, though. What? What are we doing like four guards like Villanova did years ago? Like, is that what we're going to is that what we're going to try with, with Drew Holiday? Why would why would Portland be interested in Drew Holiday? Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum ranked number one and number two in minutes per game this season. Number one and number two. And if you're Portland, I think you got to think about alleviating that on them so they have maximum energy in the postseason. And also, you can push those guys off ball a little bit more. I, I want to see, I want to see Dame be somebody who relocates more often. And I think if you have those three guys on the court together, yeah, you're a little bit undersized. It doesn't make sense to me. You're a little bit undersized, but. Holiday's a really great defender, and he's also better against some bigger guys. Like he can, he like let's say against the Golden State Warriors, you have a Steph, Clay, and I don't know. Let's just say they draft Anthony Edwards. You can have Drew Holiday defend Clay or defend Edwards in that situation. You know, you know what I'm saying? Or he can defend Wiggins, right? And, and to me, that could work with that trio of guards. We saw how great Oklahoma City was this year with Chris Paul, Dennis Schroeder, and Shea Gildas Alexander. All guards, all guys who are at best with the ball in their hands. Uh, and with Portland, it would be similar. Gilles Alexander is certainly bigger, though. He is bigger, but Holiday defends bigger than his measurements. Yep. You know what I'm saying? So I, I think for Portland, it makes sense. But again, with them, 
I've heard them mentioned maybe about a week ago. I haven't heard anything since, and I would be willing to bet that's because they can't put together the best package for him. They're just not in on holiday. They don't have the number of assets like some of these other teams do uh, to get a player of the caliber of Drew Holiday. But like again, with Portland, with Boston, to me, the logic makes sense, and, and it's good to hear that the, these teams are going for a player like that because they're going for it. They're trying to maximize this opportunity here that they have to compete in the postseason. Poor man's Drew Holiday might be Eric Bledsoe, and they were the they were the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. But you reported that Eric Bledsoe's name has come up around the league as no somebody surprise that, there. Uh, no surprise. <laughs> no surprise there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, look, we've we've talked at length about how this is a huge offseason, a huge team building uh, moment for Milwaukee. Because you're going to have to deal with all the crap all year anyway with people talking about Giannis and will Giannis stay or go and is Giannis going to stay in Milwaukee and maybe Giannis ends up here and there and everywhere else. Um, so this is, you've got whatever it is, a few weeks to build out you know the version of the Milwaukee Bucks that Giannis is going to play with next year. And so doing that, this is this is going to gain a lot of interest around the league, to say the least. And I was unsurprised to hear Bledsoe's name come up, but could they find a landing spot? Can you get anything for Eric Bledsoe now? Well, I reported this week in my mock draft on the, in the uh, Ringers 2020 NBA draft guide that the Bucks have interest and are at least trying to have discussions with the Rockets for P.J. Tucker and Robert Covington. Tucker, of course, in that article, you know, reported this week by Shams, Sam Amick, and Kelly Eco on the Athletic that Tucker has not been happy with the role and the and with the money that he's been getting paid. He last season he got paid eight point three million. This coming season, in the final year of his contract, he'll be making seven point nine million dollars. Granted, he's thirty five years old. That guy can still defend like anybody. He can still defend anybody in the league. And if you're the Bucks, to it's me, it's kind of shocking that a guy wouldn't like to be expected to play defense guard big guys all the time and then stand in the corner on offense and watch other people <laughs> dribble. I can't believe that he would want a bigger, a, diff, a different role than that. Well, I want to touch on that thought you just said in a second, but like for Milwaukee, Tucker makes a lot of sense for obvious reasons. Giannis didn't offend Jimmy Butler in the postseason. So you got to have a guy who's going to defend a Butler, who's going to defend a Jason Tatum, who's going to defend a Kevin Durant. And PJ Tucker is that guy who can handle any of those matchups and would be tasked with doing that. So if you're let's let's say let's just say Westbrook gets flipped in a package for a for a deal that includes a forward, a bigger guy, you know, that could fill that void, you know, that you might lose with the Tucker. Maybe then you flip Tucker to get Eric Bledsoe and other assets, maybe a first round draft pick, whatever it may be, in order to redistribute and, and rebuild your roster around Harden. Maybe that's something that Houston could be thinking about. But for Milwaukee, um, like to me, whether it's Covington or whether it's Tucker, I'd love any of those guys. And with Covington, they had previously had interest in him. Yeah, Covington prior is a to big trade. man. I th they won that series because of Covington. Covington, when it mattered most, he was there for it. I mean, my perception of him went up greatly because of how he performed on the highest level. He he was really good. And, and just one other thing with James Harden, uh, you know, you poke fun at their system and not wanting to play that way. I saw like the top post on Reddit today on NBA Reddit. This is the headline on the top post today. It says, this is from All-Star Weekend two years ago. Steph Curry. I talked to James in the back, obviously complimented him, complimented him on what he's done. First thing he says is it's fun. 
but I want to play different. Playing by myself or whatever, hero ball, he don't want to play like that. A system where they can actually play beautiful basketball. That's what he wants. And he was saying that. It was recorded, talking to Mike Budenholzer. That clip went viral a couple years ago. It went viral again today on Reddit because you know I've heard the same thing. I've heard rumblings over the years that Harden appreciates the system, appreciates what it does in terms of, you know, winning in terms of like playoff runs, but I don't think Harden himself sees the the ceiling as NBA Finals champion. And and I asked Harden about this after the game that they lost in, in the postseason this year and when they got eliminated. I asked him like, you know, you were awesome in your younger days in OKC, cutting off ball, moving off ball, going off of screens. And in your first year, two years in Houston, you did a lot of that. Is that something you'd like to incorporate in your game moving forward? And he gave like a general, you know, media savvy answer, but he he didn't say no. He said, yeah, like I'll do whatever it takes to win. That's been good for me in the past. And to me, when it comes to the Rockets, whatever their new head coach, Steven Silas installs, if I'm the Rockets and I'm James Harden, I'm hoping they take a lot of what they did with Luka and install it with Harden, but also turn the page way back to his OKC days because Harden was awesome off ball. Like watch him cutting off ball alongside Durant and Westbrook. He was so smart. The way he moves on ball with his footwork and the handle, that works without the ball in his hands too to get open. And to me, unlocking that would give him more energy in games and which would help in those end game situations where we've seen him quote unquote choke He's also probably been burnt out because of the demand on his body. To me, that is the next step for Harden, whether it happens in Houston or whether it happens somewhere else. Well, your Mr. Blow It Up crown got taken for a day yesterday. I don't know if you saw this. I did not. Kendrick Perkins. Oh, yeah, Perk. Yeah, Perk said, said Blow It Up. He yeah. said, you don't, <laughs> just, you don't just trade Russell Westbrook. You trade both of them, and you just decide. You get as many assets as you possibly can, and you move on because it's not – it's not gonna. It's not gonna do. You disagree? I think you trade Russ. Uh, I would. I mean, the only reason Darryl and Covington Warren, and Tucker. And I mean, what? no, I don't. I don't think so. I, I think I would try to trade Russ and try to get something back that would appease James Harden because he's the guy who originally wanted to play with Russ. And you give it a try. And if during the season Harden's like, you know what, f this, I want out. Then maybe that at that point you trade him. But to me, now is not the right moment to trade James Harden unless it's so overwhelming, such a ridiculous return that you're like, we have no choice but to say yes. There's no point in waiting and potentially losing the leverage. That's the, like the line for me is an obscene return. Like a lot of draft picks, pick swaps, young players, so on and so forth. He's the top 10 player in the league, a guy who won an MVP, should have won multiple MVPs, in my opinion. Um, Harden is that level player. You don't trade that guy, not just yet, but that time could come soon. We talked about this a couple months ago, Chris. Didn't we say the next team to potentially blow it up was the Houston Rockets? Well, here we are. It's come a lot sooner than we expected, but that moment has arrived or it's actually a conversation. But I wouldn't pull the plug on Harden just yet. Uh, I'd try to build around him for at least half the season before the deadline. Yeah, it will be fascinating with a with a new head coach yeah, in exactly. Steven Silas because they have not. I mean, it's obviously not going to look anything like it did with Mike D'Antoni um, no going forward. Let me ask you about a few other names that have come up and and were mentioned in your column. Uh, the Zach Levine thing, you know, they've got all new management there in Chicago. Um, they've got a new coach on their sideline in Billy Donovan, and you know, one of the things you're going to do is. 
you know there's going to be roster turnover as there is any time new management takes over. We've discussed this many times. New management, so much of this can be politics, and you walk in and you don't get credit for that guy. You don't have any stock in his level of success, and so you typically turn around the roster. Um, But with that said, you kind of line them all up on the wall and you say, all right, who do we want to keep? Who do we want to move? And it had been reported uh, different places that they they really liked Lori Markinen and they liked him more than Wendell Carter, maybe. And then you have this Levine note. What are we what are we thinking on who the Bulls are going to build around? It sounds like Kobe White for sure, um, but who they're going to build around? And do you think there is a good landing spot for Levine if they were able to move him? There's a lot floating out there about them. Uh, it's hard to you know know what's tangible and what's going to materialize or not. The, the way it was reported in my mock this week was that Dallas has interest in Zach Levine. I've heard that they've gone for Drew Holiday and Spencer Didwitty from the Nets as well. And with Levine, the thought is, you know, in some front offices across the league, is that for Chicago, it, let's say LaMelo drops to number four, which is a possibility. We'll see on draft night. Um that they would take that player. They would take LaMelo Ball with the fourth pick. And if that's the case, you suddenly have Kobe White, Zach Levine, LaMelo Ball in your backcourt. And I don't think those three can work together. There's not enough defense there. And also, like the, the offensive styles clash. And so to, and Levine has the most value to flip. Yeah, but I the, the, of those ones when you were talking about Dallas, boy, I would much rather have Holiday or Dinwiddie. I really would. Next to Luka? The, Levine, that's not a, that's not a fit. That's to me. That's not that Levine is not a good fit there. That's not who I would want. That's not who I would want to allocate that money towards. You know what I mean? Levine needs to go to someplace like Charlotte and go put up a million points. You know, <laughs> I mean, he's already did, did that in Chicago for a year. And like Levine is somebody I've hated on a lot in the past. Yep. I, I didn't like him in in the draft. I haven't liked him in his young career, but he's also a 25-point-per-game scorer. <laughs> yeah, but they, they, that, they, that's meaningless to me. They don't win anything. I know they don't win anything, but he's he's efficient for the volume, and you can see the potential for him in a winning situation. The problem still is the defense. He doesn't play much defense, and you know we mentioned earlier how James Harden has gotten a lot better on defense. Who knows? Maybe Levine would in a winning situation, though I do wonder how much of it can improve. Like effort on the ball, intensity, focus, that can improve. But off ball, he's always been a guy that misses rotations or allows backdoor cuts. And and sometimes that's just like even Jalen Brown, another guy, a really good overall defender, great on the ball, but very bad off ball. Right. Some guys just don't have that off but ball. But I'm glad, but I'm glad you brought him up because and look, I I've done my share of of busting up on Levine, but I am also well aware that Zach Levine is the perfect, in my estimation, the perfect example of what I've talked about for so many years about how much of your career can be altered by opportunity and fit and where you go. And it is truly the difference between somebody like Jalen Brown and somebody like Zach Levine going into a great structure and a winning situation and a coach that's been there. Like the trajectory of Zach Levine could have been a a much different story if he would have gotten drafted by a good franchise and being nurtured by a good franchise and then, or maybe even early in his career, moved over to somebody that's winning. But I think that you just end up picking up so many bad habits and you end up, you know, your context within the league gets – you 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 get this uh, 
you get this different perception of kind of where you fit within the league because of that success you have on rat teams. To me, he's, you know, all those flaws and all that. He's the, the right idea of what Dallas should be looking for is a secondary presence next to Luca. He, you know, let's say Dallas were to get him. He's a clearly an upgrade from Tim Hardaway Jr. Um, so that helps there with the shot creation aspect, with the scoring ability next to Luca. And, and I think he's young enough. He was 24 this past season that he doesn't preclude you from potentially creating cap space to sign a Giannis next summer. Let's say Giannis wants to go to Dallas. Let's just say that's the case. Mm-hmm. You could flip Levine elsewhere at making $19.5 million, being in his mid-20s quite easily. There would be a, a number of teams that would have interest in him. And, you know, you could also say the same. You could also try to flip KP if you wanted to as well. But that's a different conversation for another day. Uh, but I don't I don't think trading for Levine with his cap number next year would would take them out of the Giannis sweepstakes necessarily. So to me, someone like that kind of makes sense, even though he's not the perfect fit in the backcourt next to Luca. That's like a Bradley Beal. A Beal may not be available next year, depending on how things go with John Wall this season. He may want to stay there, and they might want to build that out. So that that avenue to me is is less likely, and I wonder if maybe that's why I'm starting to hear some stuff about them going around for a Dinwiddie, going around for a Levine, a Drew Holiday, because they might not see a path to get that guy who is ideal next summer. So why not get somebody now and try to bolster your team this year? Because by the way. Luke is an MVP candidate entering the season. He very well might win MVP. And if you're Dallas with a guy like that, you're automatically in championship contention. So maybe you should do everything in your power to maximize this season. But he's not the fit to me. To me, he's just not. He's not perfect. That's for sure. This question marks. Rick Carlisle would be like, you got to start defending or you're not playing. Because Carlisle will have no tolerance for some of the defensive performances we've seen from Levine in the past. Yeah. And how comfortable is he being? The third banana, probably, you know? I mean, look, I'm, I'm still high on Porzingis. A healthy Porzingis is is a guy that you're going to be able to count on, I think. KP, the question is, can he, be, can he stay healthy? That's, That's just not my big him. three. I got to find something else. Do you know what I mean? I, I, need, I need to find something else to flank yeah. uh, Doncic and Porzingis. That's a much better fit than Zach Levine. And by the way, like, we'll even see if Levine would be available. Like, we don't yep. know where ball's going to go with Lemelo. He very well, like, my, my conspiracy theory is that so he had his workouts this week. He had a private workout with Minnesota at number one. And then he had a workout with two, Golden State, three, Charlotte, and seven, Detroit. Mm. It's funny that Detroit would be in that. I wonder if they're in that because there's a high probability that the Pistons move up. Yes. And the question would be, where do they move up? Do they move up to one? Do they move up to two? Do they move up to three? Well, this is what we talked about last week. I said there's some of those teams that had really shitty seasons that didn't get the high draft picks. Yeah. Right? It's like, if you're Detroit, it's like, oh, my God. We just went through hell with this season, and then we're rewarded with getting the seventh pick in the draft. It's kind of like how Knicks feels, Knicks fans feel with the eighth. So any of those moving up, and it's certainly, you have the ability, if you're some of those teams at the top, like a Minnesota, like a Warriors, um, even Charlotte, for that matter, I mean, they didn't have some kind of wretched season. They're not Charlotte Charlotte could trade down if they want to. Like they they could they like you can afford to if you're them, right? You can afford to if you're them because you don't need a franchise savior. And I know we've talked, there's probably not one, but 
you still want to get the best possible player you can, and picking seven or eight is a tough spot if you just had a crap season. And for Charlotte, by the way, it's a type of thing where let's just say the top two are Edwards to Minnesota and Wiseman to Golden State. At that third pick, it's very possible Charlotte would want to take Onyeke Okong with a USC center. They could probably trade down to seven and still get him. There has been virtually no noise about him going four to Chicago or five to Cleveland or six for that matter uh, to Atlanta. And I don't think the team that trades up to six, my understanding is it wouldn't be for Onyeke Okong. It would probably be for Patrick Williams. It should he still be on the board. And so you could probably feel good about getting him at seven. Uh, if you're the Hornets and that's sort of where I, I'm landing here, where, you know, we're a couple of days away from the draft less than a week now, which is insane. Um, but uh, I, I think that we might see a trade on draft night with Detroit going into the top three, because why else would they be in that workout? It's just, you know what I mean? Right. Like the seventh yeah. pick. Why yep. else? All right. So let me ask you this, because uh, I know you and J. Kyle Mann and Charks are going to be talking a lot about the draft coming up. Uh, last thing I'll ask you, is there anybody in the top five or ten that you believe at this point will not exercise their pick in the top five or ten? Uh, I don't know. I mean, Atlanta. That, 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 Atlanta that you feel uh, strongly that they will move down. Atlanta, or, Atlanta's most likely. Um, interesting. But anything's possible, man. Anything's possible with this draft. There's so much stuff floating out there. It's like it could be a wild <laughs> next couple of days. Like things could change by Tuesday when we record, and things are definitely going to change on Wednesday night of the draft. Uh, so that's what makes this draft so hard to predict, and that's why there's no team, no GM, no executive that I've talked to out there who is operating under any assumptions about this draft because. We don't know which teams are going to pick where. And so it changes we every week. Hell, I, I looked yeah. at the mock draft y'all have up right now. You got Edwards going one now. Yeah, we've had right. Edwards, I think, one a, a while now. Yeah, well, it was Wiseman uh, just no. as of last week, right? No, we had Edwards one for consecutive mocks. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought I thought Wiseman had moved up there when, when we had last had talked Edward, about that. I think I've had Edwards there like three or four in a row, something like that. For three Minnesota. or four in a yeah. row? Yeah. Oh my goodness! Not looking at the draft draft guide enough, Chris. Come yes, on. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 I, I, I am, uh, I'm, re- I'm resenting this because it's I, your I, be- oh, I believe that Wiseman was number one. I, I think they so snuck that. it in on you and then they moved it back down. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys are going to be talking a lot about the NBA draft on the other side. Uh, Kevin's going to be joined by Charks and J. Kyle Mann for is too many, so I bid adieu. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll talk to you next Tuesday. See you, Chris. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerMBA. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerMBA right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes... You know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York, we want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, 
Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by Sonic. Fuel up for game day and any day, really, at Sonic. For a limited time, you can get the new $1.99 Sonic Crispy Tinder Wraps. And trust me, you don't want to miss out. A crispy chicken tender and bold flavors like hickory barbecue and cheesy Baja. Crisp lettuce and melty cheese that make the perfect bite. So go get yourself some TLC, some tender love and chicken. And buy a $1.99 Sonic Crispy Chicken Tinder Wrap today. Tax not included. Limited time only at participated Sonic drive-ins. And now we bring on Jonathan Sharks and Jay Kyle Mann. How are you guys doing today? Great. Thanks for having us on. I just have to say first, Kyle, you released a video breakdown yesterday on LaMelo Ball. And I, and I got to say, I think it's probably the best video that you've done with us at the ringer. It's perfect. Fair analysis. And wow. it's funny. The, the, <laughs> the clip with Dort, the people got to watch this. Go to the ringer's YouTube page. It made me laugh so hard that I had to pause the video and go back. It's really <laughs> well, thanks, good. Man. Go I check mean, the it Pistol out. Pete stuff, that was legit. Yeah, really good. It's really I got good. A micro so, comment on that, but I wanted to also say that, like you guys, uh, you guys look really tan and and fresh and revived from your trip to Europe. You look good. I'm impressed. <laughs> I don't know about hey, me, but but Charks looks good. I, yeah. I look very pale. <laughs> Charks, I also just want to shame you. You have a young child. You don't, need, and especially in a pandemic, you don't need to be going to Europe and traveling all over the continent. <laughs> Shame on you. Yeah, yeah we did a, a, a Euro trip video that's also on the Ringers YouTube page, breaking down the international prospects. And a producer, Corey McConnell, did an awesome job on that. But anyway, yeah, for sure. T- today, yeah. we're not talking about, you know, the top prospects. We're talking about guys outside the lottery, you know, with teams that could be going to some contenders in the middle to late first round. And we're going to talk about the decisions that they'll face on draft night. They could take some home run swings or maybe find guys that could contribute right away. And for some teams, the drafts, not free agency, could be their avenue to find that early contributor. So what we're going to do is match a team to a player. And some of the things that we say could apply to other teams that we might not talk about today. So, Kyle, uh, let's start off with you. Who's your team and who's your prospect for them? Uh, well, the first team that I wanted to talk about was uh, Denver and, you know, kind of looking at Denver's situation right now you know they they kind of overperform my expectations for them in the playoffs but they're a team that i see as needing you know they're gonna they're gonna have offense going forward like that's not gonna be an issue honestly they're gonna have to figure out a way to sort of evenly distribute those shots i think uh between you know porter coming along and things like that but i they're they're in that typical situation where they need some flexibility and depth uh defensively on the wing i think um, I'm kind of leaning between two different guys, and I think that your mindset would dictate who it would be. The main person that I think of at that spot, and this makes a lot of sense because he's a Colorado guy, is Tyler Bay. Mm. Uh, Bay's a long, you know, a lanky, bouncy, um, just a, a guy that can cover a lot of ground quickly. Um, he's coming along kind of his feel as a shooter and a scorer, uh, but I think that he's somebody that could come in and give them, like, with later rotation, um, there's there are multiple clips where you can go and watch Tyler Bay guard the ball handler capably switch on to you know and dribble handoffs onto a score. I was watching a clip a minute ago where he rotates in one play, does this and blocks Zeke Naji's shot like tippy toed, <laughs> and Zeke Naji's a big guy. Um, so that's it. one guy, and the other 
if you wanted to think more long-term, a guy that could give you more in the future would be uh, Jamias Ramsey. So I was kind of flip-flopping between those two dudes. Uh, Ramsey, I think, has more upside as a scorer. We'll, but talk, he's a, we'll talk Ramsey in a second. Ooh, That's kind of what okay, talking about. all right. So I'll, save, I'll set the table for you then, Sharks, on that one. So the Nuggets are kind of set everywhere. You know, they have a lot of ball handlers, Jokic, Murray, Will Barton, Morris. They get Fords, Michael Porter Jr. They want to bring back Jeremy Grant. And at big, Millsap and Plumley are free agents. They're both in their 30s as too. And of course, you got Jokic there. I- I've heard, you know, it's interesting you mentioned Tyler Bay, Kyle, because he's more of that versatile, switchable, modern style big. And the names that I've heard them connected to, you mentioned him in passing there, Arizona freshman big, Zeke Naji. And I've heard they also like Washington center, Isaiah Stewart. Those guys sort of fill that more traditional big man position more so than Bay. With this type of roster, Charks, like you're always like about small ball with a guy like Tyler Bay. Is somebody like him a, a better overall, a smarter fit for what they can be to maximize what they can be in the postseason long term rather than maybe one of those more throwback bigs like Najee or Stewart? Well, to me, I can find a throwback big anywhere. I can get a veteran at the minimum. Like, I'm not too worried about that. I think what's interesting about Bay is this. And I th- I'm curious what y'all think philosophically, right? Because Bay, you're drafting Bay to fill that, you know, the role everyone wants, that 3-4 swing forward 3 and D guy. And the question with Bay is the jumper. So then when you're following these kind of 3 and D projects, do you want the guy with the surefire defensive stuff with the questionable jumper? Or do you want the guy with the jumper who has questionable defense or do you want the guy without a strength in either category, but kind of is average at both, right? It's like, that to me is the question from like 20 to 30, maybe even 18 to 30 is like, what kind of 3 and D guy do you want? Because all these teams need that 3 and D guy. Yeah, and I think that he's a fun sort of a, like, <laughs> when you have when you have a playmaking genius who can play, you know, pass from every conceivable angle, you want to just give him toys, basically. And Bay is a great athlete. I think that he could develop into a pretty good cutter and get easy ones um, and then give you... Yeah, I just don't think a whole lot offensively is going to be asked from him in terms of like creation. So to me, he makes sense for the yeah, short but do you, term. Do you believe his jumper? Because I want to give Jokic space. More than toys, he needs his space to get get his buckets. That's true. That's true. I mean, it, it depends. I, it, he kind of gives me some Rocco vibes in terms of like, I think he could get to a passable point. It's just kind of a question of how quickly or how much you want to believe in that. And Bay did show progress as a shooter this past year. He's somebody that if I'm a team, I'd want to see him in workouts and see how good I feel about the shot mechanically and how translatable it will be to the NBA and you know high-level basketball in the playoffs because that's what they got to be. They want to think about that time. Charks, uh, let's move on to your first team. Okay, so I'm going to go with Utah. I think they're right, they're right after Denver. And really, I also want to talk about Ramsey. This might be a case where like we've had too much time to evaluate the draft. I'm going over guys again and again. But Ramsey, to me, initially didn't stand. Oh, so Jameis, is it Jameis Ramsey? I always forgot to say his name. Jameis, Jameis. Okay, so he's a Texas Tech freshman, 6'5", two guard. <laughs> We're just going to go right on through it. <laughs> his name is Here Ramsey for our purposes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so Ramsey, uh, Texas Tech freshman, 6'5", wing. And the more I watch him, I just love that I don't really see any holes in his game. To me, like the two Texas Tech guys, so you had Zaire Smith and Jarrett Culver, both those guys just haven't been able to shoot. I look at Ramsey, and I see a guy who knows defense, who has a good body, a good feel for the game, and I like his jumper. So I just think like he checks all the boxes. He's a freshman. So I say, not only that, I think he has a pretty good feel for the game. He was their secondary ball handler behind Moretti last year. 
15 points a game. And I just say, okay, size check, feel check, jumper check, defense check. And I see that many check marks for a young player. And if I'm a team like Utah with a good player development system, it's like you've got a really strong foundation. And if you can just push them forward into each category, I, I think I'll have Ramsey in my top 10 once it's all said and done. Oh, in your top 10? I think so. Wow, okay. So th- I'm glad you say that because I'm curious here. The last three years, the 23rd picks have been Darius Baisley, who's been a promising young player for OKC, Aaron Holiday, who's already a pretty competent rotation point guard with Indiana, and then OG Ananobi, who's you know awesome and he's a champion uh, and still probably getting better too on the offensive end of the floor. Does... Does Ramsey fall more into the the reliable, you know, he's going to come in right away and contribute bucket like a holiday? Or is he more of the the upside player like a Beasley where you're drafting for long term next to Mitchell with him? See, the reason I like him, is I think he falls into both. I think he could play relatively quickly while also having upside as a shot creator four or five years down the line from now. So, like, you have him top 10. Kyle, why is he not in everybody's top 10 right now? Like, what's holding people back on him? Where Tark sees something that others don't? Uh, he missed some time this year, I think. But he also was one of those guys. Uh, Charks, was he RSCI, like, 30 range? Yeah, somewhere he was in about there? 30, yeah. Yeah, he's one of those guys that you have to kind of pay attention to. He's not going to be thrown in your face, so he's not like a buzzy kind of a guy. Something I like, too, and I, I don't, like, mean anything by this, but if you choose to go to Texas Tech, their reputation is established, you know? So that kind of tells you about... They're, they're a team that, it, for people that don't know, is like a really strong team defensive teaching. Like, that's what they're about. And, uh, I, I mean, I like that. That's kind of a good sign. You can That's me reading into that. But I agree, like, lockstep with Chark's about his... In the short term, I think he could give you some shot creation. And like he's like we've said before, he's built like a truck. He's got shoulders, like, uh, really, really broad shoulders. I think his wingspan's like... is it's It's pretty long, isn't it? I'm pretty sure. I haven't seen his measurements, but I think physically he holds up. And I'll say this. So I was doing, I did a profile on Zaire Smith, which feels like, which was like last summer, which is maybe like three years ago now, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and as I was doing that story, I was talking to Texas Tech people and they were already talking up Ramsey back then. They were like, this guy's a for sure one and done. Hold this name. Just watch out for this guy. So it's been my back of my head for a while. And I think, I think like if Tech had made a run to the tournament, we'd be talking a lot more about him, but they didn't. And, you know, obviously that didn't have a chance to happen. For what it's worth, Kyle, uh, Ramsey measured at the NBA Draft Combine at six two and a half barefoot with a wingspan of 6'6". Six, six. So okay. not super long, but, you know, not bad by any means. And, you know, with Ramsey, he's somebody I've had a hard time with. Uh, there's a lot to like. Um, the streakiness as a shooter, the shot selection I do worry about. But the upside there is undeniable. For sure, and and that kind of leads us to the first team I'm going to choose here, the Portland Trailblazers. They have the 16th pick. You mentioned Ramsey as an option for 23. For Portland, th- there's a big group of guards that they could choose from here, or that a number of teams can choose from. You know, whether it's Ramsey or Tyrese Maxey, Kyra Lewis, Tyrell Terry, and so on and so forth. And for Portland, I think you can look in this one of two ways. You can look at it like. I mentioned this to Verno earlier in the pod that this season, the players in the NBA who ranked first and second per game in minutes were Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. So they need another guy who can contribute and alleviate the minutes that those guys and the demand that those guys have. And I, I wouldn't knock them for taking a guard there. However, I'm not sure that need outweighs the need for a wing. Are you really going to get by the Lakers or Clippers with 35-year-old Trevor Ariza and six-foot-five Gary Trent. 
I don't think so. And and that's why at that 16th pick, to me, their ideal pick is Villanova, Sadiq Bay. Bill Bay is 6'8", built for the NBA physically and mentally, plays hard, he's switchable, hits threes for you, understands his role, good decision maker. And if his handle improves, to me, there's some untapped upside there. Okay, so it's interesting you talk about that because I'm curious what y'all think about Anthony Simons. This is yeah. a guy, I, I didn't watch him in the draft, so I've never had a guy, got a great feel for him. Like, I don't even quite know what he is yet. And talking about getting a guard there, they believe a lot in Simons. Do, do you see that for them, for him? Simons ha- did not make the progress last year that you would have hoped for. I, I wouldn't give up on him. You When you drafted Simons, if you're Portland, you knew you're getting a project. You knew you're getting a guy that's going to take time to develop. And, and part of my thinking here with going for a guy like Bay or one of the other wings in the middle of the first round, a Neesmith from Villanova, um, is that I think it's harder to find a good wing in free agency sure. this year than it is to find a guy who can come off the bench and get you some minutes and handle the ball a little bit for you. So, And plus with Simons, I wouldn't give up on him. I think he can still contribute and, and I'd want to see him get more opportunity this coming season to, to be able to do that. Yeah, it's interesting you said Sadiq Bay because over the past few years, they've kind of had somebody in that role, in that sort of archetype. Like, uh, you know, they had uh, Evan uh, Evan Turner for a little bit. And then they, they I think they kind of expected Baysmore to sort of create or contribute that on like a lower level. But he didn't really uh, didn't really deliver in the way they wanted to, I guess. Let's not forget Rodney Hood. He had a great playoffs for them two years ago before he tore his Achilles. And he's a the guy they're counting on a lot next year to come back and give him something. Bay is one of those guys where I think every year there's somebody like Sharks. I appreciate that you have Ramsey in your top 10 because every year there's somebody that I'm like, mm, I want to rank that dude higher. And I just can't find you know a good reason to. Like I had Mitchell 10th and I loved him. I wish I had him higher. I, I liked OG Sharks. You had him top five. You went all in on him. I wish I ranked him higher than I did. Sometimes you get that right. Like, you know, with those guys, I would have been right to have him wrong. Sometimes you get him wrong. I also wanted to rank Wesley. I wonder higher. I didn't, <laughs> which turned out to be the right decision. But, you know, is there any other players, you know, in this middle of the first round that come to mind as somebody that you're trying to find a good reason to put them higher? Because Bay, to me, is that guy. I think there's untapped potential for him off the dribble. He's a good decision maker. He can handle a little bit for you. He's not quick, but he makes smart decisions. And I think too, like we got to say, he's a Nova guy. Like, I mean, I know this is kind of lazy, but Nova guys don't bust. Last five years, like Jalen Brunson, Mikhail Bridges, uh, Eric Paschal last year, Dante DiVincenzo, all these guys drafted mid to late the second. Nova guys know how to play. Nova doesn't really recruit guys who really think too highly of themselves, who won't fit in a role. They're very system oriented. Like they have a system they teach an MBA concepts. They come in right away. Coaches love them. So I think with Bay, the floor is just so high. Because we're talking about this range of players, 3 and D guys. Most of these 3 and D guys, man, it might work. It, it really might not. But Bay, you got you have a pretty strong confidence he'll be an NBA player. Yeah, the, the the schematic stuff you're talking about is really important, I think, is that like these these types of players interface with what the NBA is doing super well. Like because they run a lot of stuff where interchangeable ball handlers you know multiple guys can can fill the same role and it's it's uh it's a situ- it's a situation and a system that sets you up to uh to to be ready for the learning curve of the nba which is people underrate that in my opinion it's an easy team to scout from an nba perspective uh charles let's move on to your second team okay so i'm gonna say dallas at 18 here but really this is a guy i think every team in the late first has to look at and he's kind of the opposite of Sadiq Bay, and that's Robert Woodard at Mississippi State. Ah, I like okay, it. Okay, so Woodard is like, he's your classic project. 
This is a guy with this massive wing. Like he's built like a freaking truck. Great athletic ability. And you're just asking yourself, is that jumper for real? Can he develop as a ball handler? He's very raw. This is like a, mo- a ball of clay kind of guy that if you hit on him, he's got the frame everybody wants. He's got that big six seven six eight frame. 7'2", wingspan, 230 pounds. I mean, big. it's just the, phys- it's the physical tools thing with him. And then I remember he actually played Sadiq Bey in a game early in the season. This is when I first picked up on him. And he had like three or four like monster dunks. And you're like, what is this guy? But he, like his shot is streaky. He had a small role on offense. It's a total roll of the dice. And this is a guy, I think Woodard, Woodard is a classic boom bust. Either he's going to be awesome in five years or his jumper never comes. He's in the G League. And I think at some point in this draft, you got to take a guy like that. I don't know where it is exactly. Just to give those numbers, uh, what well, you said, some context, he attempted only 73 pointers this season uh, as a sophomore at Mississippi State. Hit 43% of them, but again, only 70. And the free throws were low, too. Exactly. And and it's a stiff-looking jumper, too. What's your confidence level with somebody like Woodard, especially in in the first round here? Like, at that pick for Dallas at 18, it's important they get this right. And Woodard is somebody who has that upside to really be an important player in their rotation. Is there any logic to them looking for one of those secondary creators or maybe even finding some depth behind Chris Stapps with his health concerns moving forward, like a Jalen Smith, if, if he's available? Is there... Is there any logic to going in a different direction there other than wing, despite the importance of a need for wings in the league? See, I would say for the Mavs, you look at it like this. It's just going to be very, very hard for them to find those wings, right? Free agency, I can find big somewhere. Secondary playmakers, I can throw some money at a guard. But like a 6'7", 230-pound wing who can guard Kawhi and LeBron, like you're not getting that guy unless you get lucky or you develop him in the draft. That's my thought process. It's just, it's purely about scarcity and finding that physical specimen because it's just so hard to find. Yeah, I mean, well, what's your confidence level uh, in Woodard as like a as an attacker off of the off the catch in the spot up situation? He's shown flashes, but like he's got to have someone closing out on him, right? If they're closing short on him, forget about it. He's got to yeah, have that hard close. Say. Yeah. So, I mean, you look at like Dorian Finney-Smith, and that's the the hard part of these guys is like Finney-Smith's become a good player, but it took he was a senior, and it took him three to four years to really develop. And that's just the hard part about it is like that three and D polished guy you need. It's just so hard to find and it's just hard to develop. Like there's no great answer there. Charks, we're sending you away because you have an interview to do for a story you're working on. So uh, we're going to close this out with just me and J. Man. Have a good day, Charks. See ya. I don't believe him. <laughs> Charks, known liar. <laughs> I mean, Sharks doesn't lie, Kyle. We know that. But let's move on to your next team. Uh, my next team is the Milwaukee Bucks. <laughs> um, the Bucks are, uh, yeah, there's it's, there's this laughing gas in the air today for some reason. Yeah, the Bucks are in a situation where we've, we all watched it unfold in the playoffs, and we wondered if this was going to happen again. And lo and behold, it did. You know, Kevin, you saw this coming from like 100 miles away that the Heat were going to be a terrible matchup for them. And they were, and they exposed a lot of their problems. So, you know, the Bucks are in a situation too where they're going to need to, you know, Bledsoe is sort of a, a, a really big question mark. And I know you had reported that that's like a fluid, ongoing situation. A lot of Bucks fans, I know, are under the impression that Bledsoe they is just kind him. of... Yeah, Bucks people, fans want him gone. They want him sent away. And Bucks front office would like to trade him. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna they're gonna have a parade to the airport. Poor guy. Yes. Sorry, 
Sorry, Eric social Bledsoe. distancing for the parade, though. <laughs> yeah, you know some of the things that uh, have hurt them in that sense are that you know if Bledsoe can't hit a shot uh, in the playoffs, you know Giannis needs people around him that can hit open shots and create at least at some level of competency, and and otherwise teams are going to drop into the gaps and sort of negate the things that power Milwaukee's engine. So, you know they need to add secondary playmaking, and you're going to be in a tough bind here because. Teams saw what happened. Everybody knows what happened. So Bledsoe's lever, you know, their leverage with Bledsoe in a trade sense is going to be harmed by that because teams know that they don't want to keep him. So in the draft at that spot, you know, they're picking at 24. I don't think that you're going to be able to just one fell swoop, make a pick there that's going to solve their problems. I think, in my opinion, you know, they're going to try to split between some offseason moves. I mean, who do you think is most likely to end up there? That's kind of a that's kind of an a important piece of the puzzle I here. I reported this week that they have interest in acquiring either PJ Tucker or Robert Covington from the Rockets. Will they be able to get either of those guys? I don't know. But that at least indicates their thought process as we approach the offseason starting up next week that they're looking for that type of wing forward guy cuz by the way, Giannis didn't defend Jimmy Butler. He did not defend Jimmy Butler. They need a guy who can handle that matchup. So they're clearly looking out for that, whether it's through the draft or free agency or a trade. Yeah, and I'd, I'd heard people talk about Patty Mills, too, which I thought was an interesting one. Yeah. Patty's Sixers know. like Patty Mills from the Spurs, too. Bucks as well, possibly. See, I said Patty Mills to the Sixers back in, around the trade deadline, and people were like, what? But I thought that made so much sense. Anyway. And now Sixers fans are into it. <laughs> Come on, Sixers fans. I also said the Sixers should draft Shea and, and uh, keep Mikel Bridges, but we're not going to go there, Chris Ryan. Uh, so <laughs> he loves when I bring that up. So, yeah, I'm thinking that you need to you need to draft the most competent, well-rounded, you know, Really just kind of like a ball handler that can run some pick and roll, can hit open shots, can get into the lane, as good an athlete as you can get. I think you need to just pick the most versatile offensive player that you can that's ready to play. Uh, The guy that I've kind of been leaning towards here is Malachi Flynn. I feel Ah. like he's a guy that's going to be ready to play in the short term. Um, He's going to be a guy that can shore up some of your, you know, mid to late rotation minutes. Uh, And then, you know, like I said, you're going to be kind of pairing, replacing what Bledsoe did in the aggregate a little bit. So, so there are a lot of guards who could end up in this late 20s to to mid 40s range, and just just to rattle through a couple of the names, there's Nico Mannion, Devin Dotson, Malachi Flynn, who you said, Ramsey, who we just talked about, Trey Jones, Madar, Winston, Riller, Peyton Pritchard. There's a lot of guys in that group. Is Flynn? You know, we already talked about Ramsey. So besides him, is Flynn the guy that you feel? the most confidence in to be a, a successful NBA player of that big clump of guards that we're going to see late first, uh, early second? Uh, I'm not going to act like I'm like a stand for him. I, I think you just kind of situationally are looking at it. And like we were saying with Verno a couple weeks ago, it's like that's the most cons- competitive spot in the world. So if you're going to take somebody there, you need to be have some pretty high confidence in them. But uh, a question would be, Malachi Flynn is like 22 and a half years old. Nico Mannion is like just a little over 19. You know, if you put them in the same in the same age bracket there, if they're the same age, and, and consider where Mannion's going to be. Mannion's a little bit bigger, I think, actually. Maybe a, a shade taller. Uh, I don't know if he's the same level of athlete, but who? what do you think about that? What would you feel in the future, just looking forward? 
Flynn is somebody who has certainly risen through this entire six-month pre-draft process. Uh, teams, I mean, I, I remember months ago, nobody really talked about him as a first-round draft pick. And now I feel a lot of you know confidence that he will be a first-round draft pick. It's just a matter of where. And with him, it's understandable why. Like The reason why I wanted to talk about this today is because there are a lot of teams drafting in the late first that have an opportunity to get somebody who can contribute right away. Somebody who can help their rotation and bolster, you know, what they want to be in the postseason. And and Flynn is one of those guys. He plays hard on defense. He's such a smart player and, you know, not a big guy, you know, only six foot one, not a long wingspan, but he knows how to defend. He knows how to facilitate for you on the offensive end of the floor, can deliver accurate on target passes for you, can shoot from the perimeter as well for you. He's not going to be a star. But he does fit the idea of what a Bucks need, what a Sixers need, what even a Lakers could need if they were to lose Rondo. And that's why somebody like him has risen up the rankings here because these teams drafting in the late first see somebody who can might not be a star, but can help you early on. And, and there's a lot of value in that to have somebody like that on a rookie deal. Yeah, definitely. And and I think if you watch the Bucks, especially against Miami, what they ran up against was Miami was just an insanely flexible team defensively, quick. Uh and they just they made they made Milwaukee look slow and old, honestly. You know, you would get a situation yeah. where Giannis would drive into a wall and then they would, you know, kick, swing, swing, swing and it, it wouldn't be an open shot. So you got to be in a situation where if you're swing, swing, swing and somebody is not open, you have to be able to attack right there. And, you know, attack that imbalance as the defense is rotating. And I I think you need somebody competent in that spot. You mentioned they're, they were looked old and slow. They kind of were. You know, Brooke <laughs> Lopez is in his early 30s. Uh, George Hill is in his mid-30s. You know, Kyle Korver is in his late 30s. Wes, Wes Matthews in his, is in his 30s. A lot of older guys on that roster. And for the Bucks, it's going to be fascinating to see which direction do they go here? Like, do they package that pick, you know, with Bledsoe for a Tucker type of thing? Is that what they end up doing? The, like, where do you, where would you go here if you're in the Bucks front office and John Horst asks you, you know, like, Kyle, what should we do here so Giannis doesn't leave us in a year? What do we do? I mean, like, are you are you trying to make a win now move for a Tucker, or do you think taking the long view here and finding a younger guy and finding another home for Bledsoe is is a is a would give you a better opportunity of keeping Giannis long-term. Yeah, I mean, that's the other way that I think you have to look at it is, you know, you got a title window here, um, and they that's just kind of looming over the situation. You know, probably the second, I would say the second best player in the history of the franchise, well, third, well, I mean, you know, Oscar, Kareem, Giannis, it, you can we could argue about that. Let, some let's say day. of this current century that we're yeah, in. I yeah. brought that up <laughs> since two thousand. I was like, oh, that's actually kind of a hot <laughs> discussion. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this guy is you know critically important to the franchise, to the city. If we're being honest, so I could. That's the other way that you could look at it. Is you know, do we do we feel like we can get enough bang right here? Uh, to to and do we have the the luxury to wait for somebody? You know, I don't think that you're going to be waiting around for Malachi Flynn to become something. I'm not saying that that's what they're going to do. I just think that uh, they need to take the most offensively versatile player there. I think whether it's a PG type, whether it's a wing type, you know, the best, most versatile player. And um, yeah, I, I don't know that you're going to have somebody at that spot that can. Uh, fulfill your needs soon enough. So I could see why you would think about trading the pick in that scenario. 
we'll move on to my second team and the last team we'll talk about today. And that's the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, the reason why I wanted to talk about them is because it's, you know, we've heard the rumors about Rondo possibly getting courted by the Clippers. You know, he could potentially leave. He could get paid somewhere else. And, you know, it's critical for them to find shot creation behind LeBron James, especially if Rondo does leave. You know, one of those guys like a Malachi Flynn that could contribute right away is Oregon senior point guard Peyton Pritchard, who I've heard this came as a surprise to me this past week. I've heard from two different sources that Pritchard has a promise in the late first round. And I don't know where it is. I have him to the Raptors in my current mock drafts. Uh, maybe it could be the Lakers. Maybe it could be the Bucks. Who knows? Uh, but, you know, to me, Pritchard is another guy like a Flynn that fits that same type of thing we're just talking about where he's somebody who's like a Fred Van Vliet style, 6'2", on the smaller side. But this dude is a winner. The way he plays, he hits tough shots, makes smart plays, plays super hard on defense. And if Rondo does leave – or even if he stays, despite all the intangibles that he has, I'm still not convinced, despite all we saw, like I don't know if he's going to shoot 40% from three again for you. For long term here, you know, when LeBron gets older, when he needs more help. on Rondo? Is that what you... you You got to have a younger point guard in there and Peyton Pritchard, somebody who can come in right away on his rookie deal, and you can rely on him to come off your bench and, you know, give LeBron a breather here and there. In addition to Caruso, though, you think? So he'll, that's who he would – would he be battling yeah, with Caruso? Yeah, I mean, Caruso to me – I mean, like, I love Caruso. I love Caruso. I, you know, we made that big video on him for the restart during the summer. Way underrated. And I'm glad he proved himself in the postseason. But he's still not like that facilitator type. He's best suited in that off-ball role. Cutting. You hope his spot-up shooting improves. But he's not like a, a, a lead creator off your bench. And to me, that's where Pritchard is one of those guys of that group we mentioned. You know, maybe it's Trey Jones, maybe it's Devin Dotson, maybe it's Nico Mannion, Yamadar, Cassius Winston, or Malachi Flynn. It's that type of guy that makes a lot of sense for me at the Lakers pick at number 28. Yamadar is an interesting one that you don't hear people talk about enough. Another Israeli kid. Um, he really showed up to me when I was watching closely the the Israeli national teams and oh, then yeah. uh watching Maccabi play I forget Yam's team in the in the Israeli league but this there was this little wiry long kid uh checking Denny full court I mean and wearing his butt out oh, yeah. like really on him and I was like who is what is going on and that was like the first time that I really paid attention to Yamadar uh it's do you have sort of a flying 35,000 feet view of his game what do you what do you think about him I mean with Madar you mentioned him defending Avdia the the defensive ability for him is I mean he's intense he really busts his butt on the defensive end of the court, and he can pass. He's intuitive on the court. I think he has great vision at, at uh, you know, there's certain passers that are better, you know, distributing the ball to one side of the court. I think he has sort of that 360 vision and the ability to manipulate defenders with his eyes and his movements. The question with him will be, what level does the jump shot reach? He shot 27% this past season on a low, you know, 86 uh, three-point attempts, but he shot above 80% from the free throw line again only 85 attempts but there are positive indicators for his jumper i've heard he's a hard working kid who loves basketball like genuinely loves basketball and wants to be as great as he can at the game and and there hasn't been a lot of talk about him as a first round pick but uh i wouldn't be against it not with his his foundation with defense and playmaking if the jumper you know develops for him he's going to be a good player a really good player 
Yeah, first round's pretty high. I think somebody could snag him, you know, a second or later. But yeah, uh, yeah, he's he's a player that you don't really hear people mention very much. I was curious to see what you thought about him. But like motor, like a jet engine, that kid. Yeah. Oh my. I mean that that dude hustles constantly, and this this sort of is what makes this draft to me uh, better than it gets credit for. There are a lot of guys in this draft that we're going to look back six years from now and be like, "Oh yeah, this this twenty twenty draft had a lot of good role players that contribute to winning." And whether it's Yamadar or Malachi Flynn or or Robert Woodard, you know, I think a lot of those guys are, are going to develop in the NBA and turn into something. Uh, Kyle will be back next week after the draft. I'm not sure which day our pod will go up, but we'll be talking about everything that we see throughout the week and draft. And I uh, look forward to having you on. It'll be fun. Yeah, can't wait, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you, everybody, for listening to today's episode of The Mismatch with me, Chris Vernon, Jake Owlman, and Jonathan Sharks. And thank you to Sasha for producing the show. Please give us a rating, a five-star rating, if you're listening on iTunes. And be sure to follow us if you're listening on Spotify. See you all next Tuesday. Have a great weekend. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln in the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid, featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh, my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit Lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford, or its affiliates. This episode is brought to you by UGG. Y'all know UGG is a brand that athletes wear all the time in the tunnel and on travel days. Well, I bet you think UGG season is only during the colder months of the year. Oh, contraire. You're wrong. You need to check out the latest spring drop from UGG. They have everything from sandals to clogs. I like the sandals. UGG has you covered for your next spring adventure. Shop the Golden Collection at UGG.com.